If you're going to run a great business, you've got to have great people, and finding them is a huge part of that puzzle. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com has a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. You can find them, but ZipRecruiter is how. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. One more time, try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Once you check out their interface and you see those candidates come right into your inbox, you're going to realize there's a great choice. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck you are entering the freedom hut trump has touched down in singapore for his summit with kim jong-un also we know that the uh, G7 summit uh, had some more interesting fireworks than anticipated. There was talk of backstabbing and talk of betrayal and the president giving quite a lesson in diplomacy to Justin Trudeau of North. We'll talk about that. Plus, what is going on with tariffs and the economy and how are Democrats going to run on Trump is doing too well right now on those issues. That and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. At least for me, uh, my worst expectations were actually met this weekend at the G7 meetings. It's bad geopolitics. His advisors go out using language that's usually reserved for, you know, I, I, the, the, the new Stalin, down, the new down. Mao. It's like right. maybe the leader of North Korea. Exactly, right. right. You know, special place in okay. hell. The attacks against Trudeau were strangely, weirdly personal. I don't know if he is threatened by Justin Trudeau being younger. I have mm-hmm. no idea. Canada, the G7 was an epic foreign policy fail. I mean, it was an easy layup missed by the United States. So, so over the top. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> well, they were over the not top. Even, that's not even the way you describe it. Well, and it really was the, the language of war. Who are you with, out of CNN. I figured. Fake news, CNN. The worst. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I could tell by the question. I have no idea you were CNN after the question. I was just curious as to who you're with. You were CNN. I would say that the level of relationship is a 10. We have a great relationship. Angela and uh, Emmanuel and Justin. The relationship that I've had is great. So you can tell that to your fake friends at CNN. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. This president's amazing. Okay, I mean, there there are some days where I come in here and I'm just like, I don't know what else to thank God for Donald Trump. I don't know what else to say. The, the media was in such a little hissy fit over the weekend. There's such a bunch of snide, condescending, self-important punks, clowns, and losers. They really are. They're like, oh, how can you do this to our, our ally? It's like, okay, first of all, everybody, 
stop hyperventilating about everything. Right? You know, we see this with ev- we see this on every issue, right? Whenever Trump does something, it's oh, terrible. You know, and then they'll say, oh, no, with Obama, we talked about it, too. It's like, yeah, I mean, you wrote about it, and it was like, well, this is a thing that happened today. Let's move on. I mean, it's just the disparity, the double standard. It's in every, It's in everything. It's in everything. And, and the fact that they pretend it's not is a joke. All right? Anyone who was a little Obamaite in the media for eight years then is a little anti-Trump maniac now. And if they tell you otherwise, they're lying. Or they're just delusional. Actually, it might be more delusion. I think I think they believe it, so it's not really a lie because they believe the untruth. But you have this whole. Uh, we played this montage for you about the the G seven and the, okay. This is what happened. It's pretty straightforward. And I, I gotta you know at the top of the show, I just want to say this: Trump has changed the way that we are thinking about tariffs. If nothing else comes from this, at least now people understand that when they say, like, oh, I'm a free trader, it's like, really? Well, what do you think about all of the countries of the world that have tariffs in place, including lots of them that have big tariffs in place against us? Is that free trade? Oh, no, I'm a free trader. Okay, yeah, but what does that mean? This is like saying I believe in a free market. All right. Does that mean you don't believe in cutting back regulation or fighting back against the federal leviathan when it tries to impose more regulation? No. Free trade is a principle. It is not a reality right now. And there are tariffs in place even with a... Look, Canada is like family. I mean, when we're talking about international relations, Canada doesn't even really count as international relations. It's really, you know, almost intranational relations. I mean, they're, they're our buddies, they're our cousin, they're part of the family. You know, we get it, right? And... The way that the media is running around, they're acting like there's some huge rift. And it's, I, I don't think that the moose brigades are going to come, you know, going to come charging down after us, throwing maple syrup bombs anytime soon. I think our Canadian buddies and we're all friends. It's all going to be fine. So why all the hysteria? You know, why the because they just the, everything. Yeah, I hate Trump. I hate Trump so bad. Ugh. I, I'm a, I'm actually a little surprised they don't get more tired of it. The same thing, day in and day out, the same nonsense. Yeah, Trump is the worst. Such a bunch of little whiners. And they don't bring anything interesting to the table. You know, they don't bring anything worthwhile to these discussions. They're all just reporting on each other's reporting. So let's start with that. There's very little interesting original reporting that any of them are doing anyway. And so then it's just a question of, well, what are the stories that they choose to cover? And how do they cover them? That's a much more important barometer for bias than whether something is covered because everyone's covering the same crap, right? Everyone chases everybody else with this stuff. So it's all about how it fits in the narrative and what else is out there. But, you know, let's just take a step back from it. Cause I know the G7 thing happened over the weekend. We're We got North Korea to get to, although, I mean, technically Singapore to get to, but the, the summit with North Korea, it's, it hasn't happened yet. So once again, we're stuck in this, okay, well they're there, but they haven't had the meetings. But they're there, and here's what's at stake, and we've been talking about that a lot. We'll see. We need to moderate our expectations. I think it's going to be good. I don't think it's going to be amazing, blow your mind, oh, my gosh, Trump has saved the planet. I, but I think, it, I think it'll be, a, I think the outcome could be positive. I'm, yes, I will say it. I am cautiously optimistic about Singapore. 
I am not betting on Singapore. We shall see. We'll get there. But but the trade and tariff discussion is fascinating because Trump has changed the way we talk about it. The same way that with immigration now, we can have discussions about, well, is this really in our interest? Is our immigration policy in, in Americans' interest? Not what does the U.N. think? Not what do elite media columnists on the coast or whatever? Well, not what they think about it. Is this something that we believe is good for us? And with immigration, he's, com- he's single-handedly changed things. With trade, he has also changed the discussion. Now people are like, oh, you mean that there really is a, whatever, 270% dairy tariff in place with, with Canada and the U.S.? That seems, that seems rather punitive. And, and that's where you get in this whole exchange with, by the way, they had uh, they're going to put some kind of a communique out there. What, is it, what does that even mean anyway? It's like uh, it has no bond. It's not legally binding. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just like, yeah, here's a statement of principles. You know, guess what? The Soviet Union had a great constitution that said everybody gets free health care. It doesn't mean that it happened. I mean, I know that's an extreme example. But, but Trudeau, after the meeting with Trump, Trudeau decided to get a little hissy. And this is what happened. Play five. I highlighted directly to the president uh, that um, Canadians um, did not take it lightly, uh, that the United States has moved forward with significant tariffs. It's kind of insulting. And I highlighted that it was not helping in our uh, renegotiation of NAFTA. We're polite, we're reasonable, but we also will not be pushed around. What does that even mean, we won't be pushed around? They're negotiating over over tariffs, right? A, a tariff is effectively a tax. It is it is a government tax on goods coming into that government's borders. It, in the short term at least, fills government coffers, and it also helps domestic production. It gives them an advantage vis-a-vis their competition outside that has to deal with the tariffs, right? It also raises prices for consumers. Right? We know this is all the Ecom 101 aspect of tariffs. But it's a much more complicated discussion than just, I'm a free trader. It's like, that's an easy thing to say. What does it mean? Because we don't have free trade right now. And the, the fact that here we are, and by the way, even Trump's, well, not his craziest detractors, because they actually think that he's like a lizard in a human suit and came from Mars. And, you know, they're, they're and some of them have like cable news shows, but they're completely out of their minds. But his more honest Trump haters, though, will say he has been on this issue of of trade. He has been consistent for 40 years or something now. He's been saying we're getting, you know, we're getting messed up here. This is bad. And Trudeau goes out there and says this stuff. And look, this is what everybody was reporting on. The, oh, gosh, you know, now we've got some rift with our Canadian allies. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Peter Navarro, who is Trump's, well, not necessarily, I mean, I think Kudlow might be his trade guru right now, but he's certainly in that conversation of top people with Trump and trade. And uh, actually, you know, we can hear from Kudlow and Navarro. Play six and then seven, please. There's a, a special place in hell for any foreign leader that engages in bad faith diplomacy with President Donald J. Trump and then tries to stab him in the back on the way out the door. And that's what bad faith Justin Trudeau did with that stunt press conference. He says that uh, we are the problem with tariffs. They have enormous tariffs. I mean, they have tariffs on certain dairy and food products of a 290, 295 percent. He really kind of stabbed us in the back. 
He did a great disservice to the whole G7. They were united in the G7. They came together. President Trump was charming, good faith, and they were getting along famously. President Trump actually, and this is music to my ears, Jake, he went through those two days of conference talking about the need for a new free trade system, no tariffs. We were coming together beautifully, okay? And then he goes out there and pulls this amateur political stunt. Yeah. Trudeau was trying to play to his base. So Trump said, you know what, I'm not going to sign your, your your paper. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be treated that way, especially when the president's on his way to this incredibly high-stakes negotiation with North Korea. You can't have a close friend, which Canada's a close friend. I don't think Trudeau is necessarily a close friend, but you can't have a close friend, you know, stepping on the line like that without a bit of pushback. Again, it's within the family, okay? No one's worried about our relationship with Canada. It's all going to be fine. I mean... You're basically a part of America anyway, Canada. I know, people get mad when you say it, but come on, let's be real. You're like America Jr. and colder. Um, Trump made this very clear, though. What does he want? What, what's the basis of the G7 uh, the, the G seven tariff situation that he would like? And uh, here's what he said, play eight. I did. Oh, I did. No tariffs, no barriers. That's the way it should be. Let's say Canada. The United States pays tremendous tariffs on dairy, as an example, 270%. Nobody knows that. So you go tariff-free, you go barrier-free, you go subsidy-free. That's the way you learned at the Wharton School of Finance. It's going to change. It's not a question of, I hope it changes. It's going to change 100%. And tariffs are going to come way down because people cannot continue to do that. We're like the piggy bank that everybody's robbing, and that ends. You see... You don't have to be. Forget about all these people, all the experts, the conventional wisdom. I mean, Trump is a smasher of conventional wisdom in every sense, you know, politically, with his rhetoric, with all across the board. You don't have to be an economics expert to see that something is amiss. There's a problem here. If tariffs are so bad and they lead to trade wars and all these horrible things and trade wars lead to real wars and why do so many countries have tariffs in place against us without any consequence? Are we just the chump in this situation that doesn't get to say, well, hold on a second. Now, this is where some of my, I don't know, I was going to say my liberal friends, but they would just yell at me more. But this is where people would point out, well, Buck, America has tariffs too. Exactly. So let's look at, you know, what, what tariffs are really important to Canada? What tariffs are really important to America? Can we meet in the middle somewhere? It's a negotiation. This is what this is how it goes. This is what it feels like. There's a little bit of give and take. You know, I've had to negotiate contracts for myself. I've had to negotiate all kinds of things in this media business. You don't get what you want on the first try. Sometimes you get a little a little miffed, a little annoyed when you feel like you're not being given, you know, what you should get or whatever. That's the nature of this. And you try to in good faith get to something that works for everybody. That's what Trump is trying here. He is single-handedly changing the discussion on trade, on tariffs, and once again, with everyone arrayed against him, and you know I've been saying along, I want to understand this more, I want to hear Trump out, with everyone arrayed against him, he, he's making a lot of headway here, and for a lot of folks, he's making tremendous sense. We're going to talk more about trade, and, and then we'll be getting into uh, some North Korea, and uh, what we, or whatever, the North Korea summit in Singapore, 
and uh, and then just some general economy thoughts as well about where the economy is right now. We we have a jam, a jam packed show. Eight four four nine hundred buck if you want to chat. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. We will be right back. I'm not so sure a majority of Americans believe that globalization and free trade is in our interest. I believe that. John McCain believes it. But the reason we're having these problems here at home, Brexit, Italy, there's a movement all over the world uh, to look inward, not outward. And I think it's a mistake. But I'm not so sure most Americans agree with John, John McCain and Lindsey Graham. I believe it. I mean, Lindsey Graham saying that that he believes in globalism or globalization, sorry, <laughs> that was a that was a bit Freudian. He believes in globalization, is what he said. Globalist, the Illuminati. No, but I mean, he, he believes in globalization is not uh, is not telling us anything. Globalization is a process that's happening all around us all the time. This is about specific trade agreements with specific countries. International trade is premised upon agreements. It's not just a thing. There's no state of nature of international trade. Countries make deals. The deals can be bad or good or somewhere in between. Why do we think that we have some uh, some perfect, you know, status quo? It doesn't make any sense. But I want to also bring in producer Mike had a story for us. Producer Mike, what happened? It's exciting. Here we go. He's he's he's. I catch him off guard sometimes. What do you got, producer Mike? (laughs) I had my first run in with a uh, Freedom Hub fan this weekend, live and in person. Oh, really? What happened? It was uh, was out. um, Well. Uh, a friend of uh, a couple of people and uh, uh, a girl who I'm friends with, she had uh, a couple coming into town, and they wanted to stop by the building. And she said, oh, this is my friend Angela, who's a big fan of Buck Sexton. And uh, her husband, who is a, a pilot in the Air Force, uh, was there. Um, and they are fans of the show. And they were calling me Producer Mike all night. And it was there a lot, we go. It was a lot of fun. She's like, she came up to me. She said, you're Producer Mike. Gave me a big hug. And she loves the show. Um, she's a millennial, uh, mid-30s, and she was very happy that there's somebody out there with a voice who is saying a lot of things she was thinking. So it was pretty well, cool. Thank you so much. And yeah. can we, so we'll give a little shout-out to Angela, uh, Angela and Jamie. Angela That's, and Jamie, thank yeah. you guys for yeah. listening. And uh, always always appreciated. I got to tell you, I was, I was on, and I never got to say a real thank you to people. I, years ago, pre-Miss Molly, before Miss Molly came along, I was on a first date, actually. And I was walking down the street, and I saw two like Team Buck OSS folks who were happened to be visiting New York, and they were like Buck, and they're you know, they had this big deal of it. And I was like, "This is awesome!" It's like the first time in a long time I've been like, "Yeah, like radio show, loving it." The girl, rather the young woman, I should say, rather lovely. She was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like they made such a big deal over you, and I was like, "Well." We think of each other as peers, honey, because we are, but... Uh, I'm kind of a so, big deal. So I'm, yeah, my, my library smells of rich mahogany. I've actually never had a library. I'm, I'm lucky to have a bookshelf in my tiny apartment, but anyway, it was a fun one. Uh, we're, do we have Rebecca Heinrichs up next? Is that, is that what's happening? We got a, a, a nuke and missile expert joining us to talk about what are we really going to do here? How long would it take? How does it work? How do you denuclearize? You'll walk us through some of that process, which is maybe putting the... ICBM ahead of the horse, that didn't really work. But you know what I mean. Maybe it's getting a little ahead of things, but I feel like it's an important discussion to have because you got high stakes nuclear diplomacy happening. Well, yeah, I think right right now. I forget what time it is in Singapore. It's probably in the morning. It's going to be happening pretty soon here. 
he's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. The context for these discussions is radically different than ever before. Uh, the backdrop against which these negotiations are taking, President Trump has set uh, in a way that is fundamentally different than before. Uh, President's made very clear, uh, until such time as we get the outcome that we're demanding, economic relief is not going to be provided. Uh, that's different. There was always this hypothesis that somewhere along the way the Americans would take their foot off and allow those economic opportunities for the North and thereby uh, reduce the capacity to actually achieve the deal. We're, we're not going to do that. So these discussions that will take place tomorrow between Chairman Kim and President Trump will set the framework for the hard work that will follow. Uh, and we'll see how far we get, uh, but I'm very optimistic that we will have a successful outcome from tomorrow's meeting between these two leaders. The complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization of the Korea Peninsula is the only outcome that the United States will accept. Sanctions will remain until North Korea completely and verifiably eliminates its weapons of mass destruction programs. If diplomacy does not move in the right direction, and we are hopeful that it will continue to do so, those measures will increase. There you have Secretary of State Pompeo. He is in Singapore right now with the uh, Commander-in-Chief himself, President Trump. Kim Jong-un has also landed he is uh, making the rounds and is is certainly a, a sight for a lot of folks to see. It's the furthest he has ever been, I believe, from North Korea since becoming the uh, dictator of that country. What do we think is going to happen behind closed doors here? What are they trying to achieve? And we'll get into as much of the specifics on the denuclearization side as we can. Uh, to help us with that, we've got Rebecca Heinrichs on the line. She is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. She is an expert on missiles and nukes and things that go boom in the biggest way. Rebecca, great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks, Buck. All right. So uh, let, let's talk for a moment about uh, the denuclearization side of this. Uh, you know, you, you study missiles day in and day out. How, how does that process, let's just say, walk me through Trump and, and Kim sit down and he goes, you know what, let's do this. We will denuclearize, assuming you know promises are in place and the economic relief comes, we will denuclearize. How does that actually happen? Like, what are the steps in that process? Sure. Well, the, the first thing that needs to happen is uh, there needs to be a common understanding of definitions. And so that, that hasn't happened yet. You, you played that great clip from Secretary of State Pompeo, and I believe it was that same press conference where he answered the question, one of the reporters asked, is there a clear definition of what we mean when we say denuclearization? And he said, we're getting closer. And then the reporter said, can you tell us how close? And he said, no, or something to that effect. So that, that, that's actually a, an enormous step. We've never gotten to the point where we have the same definition of denuclearization as North Korea. So the North Koreans might think that it just means, you know, no testing, for now, and then maybe in a few years they start dismantling, you know, part of their, or they start, you know, allowing stop stop um, doing plutonium or stop enriching uranium, and you know, it, it could be very different understandings of what they mean by denuclearization and on what timeline. Um, the other thing that's interesting is you keep hearing the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. I actually don't like that. Whenever I talk about this, I say we want the denuclearization of North Korea, because when you say the Korean Peninsula. To the North Korean ear, that means that the United States has to stop providing extended deterrence to Japan and South Korea as well. 
um, which means nothing nuclear capable in that region on the U.S. side. So, again, you've got to come up with some common understandings of definitions. So what I would even just like to see coming out of just that bilateral meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un is for Trump to say, I need you to understand what we are talking about when we say complete, verifiable, irreversible dismantlement of your nuclear program. And if Kim agrees to that, and he's going to demand some sort of security assurances back from Trump about what that means, probably in some form of a treaty, um, providing assurances that we're not going to be aggressors or you know, preemptive attack and that sort of thing, provide some sort of security assurance. I mean, that would be enormous. Just agreeing in principle on what the goals are. Um, Wait, hold on one second. Just because Pompeo actually spoke about those security assurances. Play clip 12. It is the case uh, that we are prepared to make security assurances necessary for the North Koreans to engage in that denuclearization. That is, we're prepared to take actions that will provide them uh, sufficient certainty that they can be comfortable that denuclearization um, isn't something that ends badly for them. Indeed, just the opposite, that it leads to a brighter, better future for the North Korean people. Now, let's say that's all in place. And by the way, your your uh, uh, exposition here on understanding that or, or having agreement on the definitions of the two sides is, is, is critical, obviously. First step is what are, before you can get what you want, you got to know what you're trying to get. Uh, but tell me then how let's say that the denuclearization is agreed upon as North Korea abandoning W or abandoning nuclear WMD, at least they've got a whole lot of stuff over there. But let's say it's abandoning right. nuclear uh, weapons of mass destruction and the missile program that goes with it. How then do we start to how do we implement that? And, and I know there are probably some specifics that would have to get hammered out. Right. Would this be under some kind of a U.N. mandate, just U.S. overseeing? Right. But I mean, the actual processes, would we send in teams to take this stuff? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So the, so the first thing that we want to see actually is um, I know people get really nervous when 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 National Security Advisor John Bolton mentioned the Libya model. I actually think I know I know John Bolton and I know what he meant by that. And, and there's actually a lot to, to learn from the Libya model and to, to know kind of how we would go about this in North, for North Korea. And that is that they have to the North Koreans would then have to open their doors to, to, to U.S. inspectors, to U.N. inspectors. You know, there has to be some sort of um, agreement about who, who are the who the inspectors are, who they're going, you know, who they, who, who they are. And um, and then they have to actually show us where their systems and programs are. Now, we obviously know where some of them are, but but there's got it. There's some that, that we don't know. And so they actually have to demonstrate that they've made this strategic shift by opening their doors and allowing these inspectors full, unmitigated access to their program. And then we can start figuring out what needs to practically happen in terms of dismantling their uranium, their plutonium development, um, and then and then figuring out a timeline that's realistic. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, how long would you estimate? I mean, rough rough terms here. Is this a month's process or a year's process, a years-long process so, once it gets going? So I've heard um, from the folks who sort of are more open to a longer process, some of the folks that are a little bit more just arms control-ish, you know, got to give the North Koreans some space and time. I've heard estimates upwards to 15 years. I think that wow. the Trump administration, no way is the Trump administration going to take that long um, to do it. 
on the on the and I've actually heard the administration officials say no no way no way will we accept that because then the North would have some opportunity to to kind of you know jerk inspectors around and try to just do these things piecemeal um, as they get economic relief. On the other end, I've heard very reliable nuclear experts sources of mine say two years. Two years is doable. And really, you can get you can get some major stuff, some uranium enrichment processing, and you can start getting missiles out of there very quickly. And within two years, you have significantly depleted their program. And then it'll probably be, you know, another 18 months or so after that before you finally are comfortable getting getting, you know, the really bad stuff out of there. Um, that timeline, of course, would be much more suitable to the Trump administration because President Trump would want this to be done um, by the time he's leaving office so that there's not another opportunity, you know, if somebody does, if, if he does have a predecessor after one term. Now, you mentioned the you mentioned the Libya model, which uh, and, and also alluded to the fact that in some ways it worked. In other ways, clearly didn't, right? It depends on which Libya model or what, what phase of the Libya model you're talking about. And certainly if you were to ask a member of the Gaddafi family, they'd have a very different view of you know how, how it went as it went right. along. Uh, but uh, assuming that they were going to try something along those lines, the security guarantees part of it. I'm just curious what that, because Pompeo has talked about it. You mentioned it today. I mean, we're going to say, yeah, of course, we're not going to let anyone attack you. Is there more to it than that? Yeah, so here's the thing. Here's the here's the dilemma that we are never going to get around, and that's that the United States should never, and we can't really ever, provide security guarantees from a dictator's own people. So if, if, if Kim Jong-un is going to continue to be a ruthless, bloody dictator where he's putting his people into gulags, we, we're not going to defend him against an uprising from people who want who want a better path, you know, if he continues down that road. So that's something that the United States just can't really do. Um, now, we can provide security assurances that we are not going to be the aggressors against him, nor are we going to help um, an insurrection against him, that that would be something that we would completely stay out of. That That's something that people kind of conflate with what happened with the Obama administration's helping the, the, the insurrection that came up against Gaddafi um, in Libya. I believe, I believe it was 2014. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. But um, that, you know, the Obama administration went ahead. It was really Hillary Clinton, is my understanding, who pushed for this, really helped, you know, provided aid and support to overthrow Gaddafi, which led to his, led to his death. Um, that was not part of the Bush administration Libya model for removing the WMDs out of Libya. That was something that happened, you know, years later, a couple of years later, when you had this uprising coming out of Libya. Um, and clearly the Obama administration wasn't thinking of the non-proliferation concerns or ramifications that would lead to that, where people, dictators are not going to say, okay, well, I get rid of my nukes and then I end up, I end up deposed and executed. Um, those were kind of two separate things. So, so back to security guarantees real quick. So what we can do, you know, we can, we can, we can sign a treaty just saying that we, we're not, we, we have no intention, which I believe the Trump administration has no intention of regime change in North Korea. Um, and, and that, you know, we can, we can provide that. That's why I think that President Trump has been so, in my view, kind of painfully friendly towards Kim Jong-un, because it can't just be something that we say. Kim Jong-un has to believe that President Trump and his administration is not looking for an opportunity to knock off him after we take his nukes. And so 
you know, it, it, it's going to take a lot of persuading. And uh, before we let you go, Rebecca, I just want to ask, uh, here's General Keene over at Fox News uh, speaking okay. about this as an opportunity. Play 14. What an historic opportunity this is for Kim Jong-un. He actually can move towards peace and towards prosperity for his country and also to guarantee, truly, the survivability of his regime, his family, and the elites around him. That's the opportunity he has in front of him. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, if he reaches for it. And if he goes back to the old game book of the past, uh, then the alternative is horrific. Rebecca, do you think that Kim Jong-un really does see this as at least an opportunity? And, and can you give us any, are you willing to make any uh, prediction or wager about the chances of success here? <laughs> I just, I, I I feel like I can't speculate here because I feel like it's so, there's such a great temptation for analysts at this point to to just kind of um, really put on what they wish is going to happen, um, you know, and try to think that that's kind of, what, what, what will happen for sure? I mean, all I can only say is Kim Jong-un has had every opportunity to take his country in a different direction, and he has not done so. He is a he is the sole dictator of, of North Korea. The missile tests, the nuclear tests have only increased under his rule. They have not decreased. The ruthlessness has only gotten worse under his rule. Um, and he con- continues to, you know, anytime there's somebody with around him, providing him advice and counsel. If anybody doesn't reflexively agree with him or support him, they're either executed or replaced by somebody else. So I'm, I'm very, very skeptical. But they do. There, there are a couple little things that have a little spark of hope in me, and that is that just in the past couple of days, there's been a change in tone from North Korean state propaganda that has, been, has taken a softer tone towards the U.S. and President Trump. That's a big deal. Because you've got to see that shift in the state-run propaganda to prepare the North Korean people for peace, if peace is to be had. That's changed. And the fact that President Trump is such an unconventional president, and he is willing to use force. I've said that before. I don't think President Trump is bluffing on that point. And so when you have this backdrop of a threat of military force, President Trump has said he's got 300 additional sanctions he's ready to slap back on if the talks don't work out. And as we just saw from the G7 summit, President Trump is perfectly willing to tear up deals that he doesn't think are good or agreements. Well, so, we, yeah, um, we'll have to see if this time is different. And Rebecca, once we have so more we'll information see. on how it went, we'll have you back. Rebecca Heinrichs of the Hudson Institute, everybody. Rebecca, thank you so much. Thanks, Doug. Team, quick break. We'll be right back. Can't even order a chicken sandwich without getting yourself into trouble these days, folks. It's not really the America I, I, I want, or it's not the America I thought I signed up for, or I guess I was born here, but it's the America we've got, though. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, over the weekend, started a social media firestorm because he ordered food from Chick-fil-A. Now, I have had some of Chick-fil-A's food. It is very delicious. Why, you might ask, would a major national food chain 
and somebody just ordering food from it be a problem? Well, Soledad O'Brien, who is a particularly shrill and uh, unwatchable morning host over at CNN, which has more than its fair share of sanctimonious, shrill, and terrible hosts in general, uh, they, uh, she wrote to him, interesting company to boost during Pride Month, Jack, for Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, and he responded, you're right, completely forgot about their background. So, you know, you've really got to try hard to make, or literally saying, hey, I just ordered a chicken sandwich, uh, a, a political issue. Now where you order your food, my friends, is going to be used as a judgment against you because of the way progressives view things. Everything is political always at all times. There is no escape. They won't stop. This is a, it's really a mass mental illness that they have. It's, it's a delusion. It's a fixation. And they need help. But they will not separate it. And what I, what I think we are all seeing is increasingly, uh, it's increasingly ob- obvious that for the left, politics replaces the space in the, uh, in the mind uh, for spirituality, uh, for relationship with God, and for real meaning. Real meaning, not who I voted for, look at me, I care about the environment. I mean things that actually matter, who you are as a human being. The left has replaced that with, I'm a Democrat. And that has led to a lot of very, very bad things. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes out there. And brace yourself because if you've had your credit card stolen, it's nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. You know, look, Everything is online these days. That means everything is vulnerable to hackers, to electronic theft. It also means the whole world is the pool of bad guys you're talking about here. But guess what? They want Americans. They want to go after American home titles because we have equity in our homes. All they do is set it up in your name. They take an alias uh, and then they borrow every penny they can against your home's equity. You need to prevent this stuff for just pennies a day. Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I like it when the liberals tell us what they really think. I like it when they slip up a little bit and let us know what's What's really going on in their minds? What's really going on in their heads? I think that that's a uh, a good thing for all of us because then we can start to get closer to the truth. And you had a few instances of that when it comes to the economy over the weekend. I thought it was uh, very illuminating to hear from them. First off, you had uh, Bill Maher. Who said this? I mean, he had to know he was going to make headlines when he said this, but I think it's a a much more widespread sentiment than liberals want to admit. I think this is, uh, if you were to poll them, at least quietly, if you were to poll them and get honest answers, I think 
Most liberals you know would probably say, yeah, this would be a good thing. Play clip three, please. This economy is going pretty well. I feel like the bottom has to fall out at some point. And by the way, I'm hoping for it because I think one way you get rid of Trump is a crashing economy. So please bring on the recession. Sorry if that hurts people, but it's either root for a recession or you lose your democracy. Yep, you heard it there, folks. Some guys paid millions of dollars to go on TV and make stale derivative jokes and be pretty nasty to people on a regular basis. Uh, That guy is openly advocating for a recession, which let me just put, because he doesn't ever think about this part of it. That means that uh, people lose their jobs. Means that people lose their homes. Means that people's dreams are crushed. Means their life savings can be wiped out. It means that the suicide rate actually goes up as the unemployment rate goes up in a recession. Now, I know that recessions happen, but you don't see me sitting around saying, you know what would really be a good thing for the Republicans right now? A mass casualty terror attack, because we know that we can trust Republicans more than Democrats to actually fight back on national security, right? To say that would be a, it would be a gross thing to say. Uh, to wish that would, would show a real hole in the soul. But to wish for a recession that would result in a lot of economic pain, which can result in all kinds of other pain, too, for people. Can't pay their medical bills, can't pay their mortgages, can't send their kids to the schools they want to send them to. I mean, there's a lot that comes with a a really serious recession. Just goes to show you where they are. And this is openly rooting against the United States of America from the left. That's what it is. We should call it that. They are rooting for not the failure of a policy, but hoping for widespread pain among the American people to advance their own political agenda. So in a sense, I have to thank Marr for at least being honest, because I don't think he's the only one. There are some others who are slightly less straightforward in how they say it. But you certainly get the sense that they have a uh, similar end state in mind for all this, like, here here she comes, Nancy Pelosi, play clip four. So this isn't just about the unemployment rate, it's about wages rising in our country uh, so that consumer confidence is restored because our economy will never fully reach its um, uh, possibilities unless we increase the consumer confidence, and that can only be increased by the better deal, better jobs, better wages. Housing subsidies and the rest has not gone down because of the wage stagnation, unless we have an increase, a very significant increase in uh, uh, wages and, and bigger paychecks. Uh, we were going to increase the frustration of America's families because they'll be saying, hip, hip, hooray, unemployment is down. What does that mean to me in my life? I need a bigger paycheck hip hip hooray unemployment is down now i know that then she goes on to say i need a bigger paycheck but first of all everyone feels like they need a bigger paycheck you find me someone that's getting paid a paycheck and i'll show you somebody that wishes they were making a little more uh but to dismiss unemployment and and then also to kind of go on this ramble there about well you know we we have to have rate uh raise wages nancy pelosi the democrats they're only possible uh, plan to raise wages 
is to raise the minimum wage, which anyone who has studied it will tell you sounds good. And a lot of people go, you know what? I kind of like the idea. I kind of like the idea of the minimum wage being raised. I think that there's something to that. Uh, As people say that, they don't realize that then there are all these other things that come along with it, right? That you can squeeze the balloon at one side, but it doesn't get rid of the air. It just moves it to the other. Most people who make minimum wage are not the sole wage earner in their households. That's for one. So in many cases, they are not trying to feed a family of four or what have you on a minimum wage job. They are one of two earners. But when you raise a minimum wage, it can also mean that they cut back, the employer will cut back on hours, for example, as a way to limit costs. The employer will automate as a way to limit costs. The employer will, yes, sometimes even fire people as a way to limit costs. Minimum wage is increases are rarely helpful. They are poorly targeted for assisting those who are most in need who are working. It's not the way that it's not the way that works out, but it just sounds good. People all feel like, yeah, they're just just pay people working hard, pay them more. People working hard, pay them more. Well, if only it were that easy. But I, I think that Nancy Pelosi is at least somewhat illiterate on the issue of economics. I think she just frankly has no idea what she's talking about. I don't think that Nancy Pelosi understands what it is to be worried about bills. I don't think Nancy Pelosi understands what it is to have to actually excel in a private sector business. She married a very wealthy man and has been a politician for a very long time. So she is not somebody I would turn to on this. But even more than that, you're seeing this common theme now with the Democrats. It's going to get louder. I think you're going to see more of it. Oh, my gosh, the economy's going well. This is terrible. What are we going to do? And more than that, it's not just that things are going pretty well. They're going very well. And they didn't tell us, oh, Trump will be president and we'll kind of like slog along and things will more or less be held together. But, you know, eventually it's all going to come. Well, you know, things will more or less hold together. They've been telling us that this was going to be a disaster that Trump was going to crater the economy, that you were going to lose your savings, lose your, you know, your, uh, in, your equity in your home, all this different stuff. And now we're seeing reports, actually, that states have more jobs than people looking for jobs. Quite a difference from uh, what was initially offered up. Um, and, and quite a distinction, I have to say, from what the... Uh, Never mind the the worst projections, the, the standard conventional wisdom projections about what a Trump presidency would look like. And if he gets his way on trade, I think we may. And this is, by the way, we have um, I don't think we have audio of this, but I saw Kramer over on CNBC was saying, look, uh, the market believes Trump is right about trade. You know, if this was going to be some terrible trade war, everyone's going to lose all this money and all these bad things were going to happen. Don't you think the market would be pricing that in a bit more? Don't you think that there would be a uh, a recognition that, you know, the market is um, more fragile than it seems right now? There's not going to be a trade war, folks. You heard it here first. Trade war is not going to happen. There'll be a series of Uh, back-and-forth negotiations on issues of trade, and we will see how it goes beyond that. I I mean, I I can't tell you the specifics. I just know that 
Trump has been swimming so hard upstream against this, against this notion that the uh, the trade order that we currently have is some irreplaceable and untouchable uh, circumstance. You know, pe- people don't even really think about this. There are a lot of ways that countries uh, mess with us on trade. A lot of ways. Uh, there's ad valorem tariffs, right? So ad valorem is the value. It's Latin for you know to the value, and that's a percentage of the overall tariff. But there's also quotas that countries can put in place. There are, uh, you know, voluntary import restrictions. There are, uh, or export restrictions, rather, pardon me. Um, there are ways to slow people down just at customs to make them less competitive. I mean, the c- countries have bureaucracies, which is what a government is, have lots of ways of making it easier for their producers to compete in the market than for outside folks. So, you know, Trump has taken aim at all this stuff, and I think that also could have some real lift you know, on the economy. I remember what it was like under Obama. We were being told, folks, because they couldn't manufacture numbers, right? We, we They couldn't lie about the food stamp number. They couldn't lie about the unemployment number and the amount of people out of work and the percentage out of work for years. Uh, we were being told, you know, growth like we used to have in America is never coming back. We were told that uh, GDP, what, 3 4 5%, that's just, that's a fantasy. And we need to get used to the idea that Obama era, you know, 2%, 1.5%, whatever it was back then, the GDP back then, that that was as good as it can be. And Obama was doing a great job. I mean, you think about it, what was, a, what was the Obama administration doing to encourage entrepreneurship, small business, and productive economic activity. I don't mean raising taxes and giving it out to a bunch of, you know, Democrat agenda item, uh, agenda items on a list. I, I don't mean using taxpayer funds as a grab bag for what the left wanted. What, what were they really doing to encourage businesses and to help people be in a position to put food on the table, or more importantly, to stop being in the way of them putting food on the table? And the answer is, you know, nothing really comes to mind. You had a, a, a president who was weak on the economy for eight years. Yeah, you know, he came into office, spent a bunch of money, and told everybody, oh, look how bad the Bush economy was. He used that bad Bush economy line for four years. Four years. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you would have even had an Obama presidency if there were, you know, if you hadn't had that recession, which was decades really in the, me- in, in the making, and was uh, cyclical as well. So... We'll see. I'm I'm a little concerned. You know, people are starting to say, well, what about inflation? I mean, there are some things that could become part of our economic picture that would be uh, troubling. And, you know, oh, my gosh, I think the only thing right now that would uh, that would excite the left more than Mueller actually bringing some kind of formal criminal charge against the president of the United States. I think the only thing that would get them more psyched than that would be if there was a, although maybe that's number one, but the only thing that's close to that would be if they found a, if there was a major economic downturn and they could just, just annihilate the president, uh, president's administration for what's going on with the economy. That would make them happier than anything else. Because right now they're just, they're beside, they're beside themselves with all the good news. They can't handle all this good news, all the good things that are happening 
it's making them so sad. You know, it's like the Grinch watching lots of little kids open Christmas presents. It's just, oh, terrible. Cannot compute. Um, so Trump was right about taxes. We'll see if he's right about trade. I think he, I think he will end up being right about trade. Uh, but do not forget that the left was rooting for you to have less money and for your town, your city, your state to be in a worse financial circumstance than it is because they want somebody back in office who's going to cry about climate change and make the government a bigger force in your life, telling you what to do. That's what they really want. Uh, 844-900-BUCK. If you want to chat, 844-900-2825. Stay with me, team. The enigmatic U.S. president is dead. ISIS is attacking on multiple fronts, and the U.S. special forces call on a mercenary cyber warrior to stop the crisis. This is Anubis. An aging Marine sergeant and battle-worn Army major faces an enemy that turns the Internet into a terrorist weapon and makes our existing concepts of security archaic. A catastrophe of biblical proportions is about to unfold. The new president is facing a ruthless, relentless caliphate, and our military and elected leaders have no means to stop it. The only real questions are when and where. This is Anubis. Today's headlines show us what is happening in the Middle East. Author Eric Anderson reveals the frightening possibilities that remain. This is Anubis. Eric Anderson is a former undercover U.S. intelligence agent. His new book from Done Books is Anubis. Now on sale at Amazon.com or visit DunBooks.com. That's D-U-N-N Books.com for Anubis. You know, there's this photograph that's making the rounds. And I think it's so funny because it it is, I know this is a cliche thing to say, but it's a Rorschach test for how you feel about Trump and the kind of uh, the international order, such as it is, where you had at, at that G7 meeting that we started talking about at the top of the show in, in Canada with uh, Trudeau, who, by the way, do we, is the eyebrow thing real, Mike? Do we know? Or is that just a meme? No, I think his eyebrow fell off. Didn't his eyebrow fall yeah, off? Yeah, he has thing? a fake eyebrow, and it, it, it fell off during the uh, the press conference. He's got brow toupees. He's got brow toupees. Is that a thing? Apparently, I didn't Maybe know in Canada. That was, I don't even know that was a thing, even in Canada. <laughs> oh, you crazy Canucks! Yeah, it's, it was it was very strange to look at. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if those were doctored photos. They're making the rounds. Somebody here in the office accused me of being a brow truther. And I'm like, no, I really think they're fake. Like, I think he wears fake brows. Like, yeah. instead of wearing eyeliner, he's a dude. He wears fake brows. That's what it looked like. Which, look, if he if he had like an accident with a chemistry set or something and burned his brow, I'd be like, all right, you know, you gotta you gotta keep the fur up top. But but to just wear fake brows because it's I don't know as as a dude, it just I didn't know that was a thing that we did. Or or um, a lot of guys are saying, well, well, we don't. Yeah, fuck. exactly. Like, that's what I was gonna <laughs> yeah, say. We, we don't. <laughs> or we just don't. But so, yeah, that happened. So now I'm apparently an eyebrow truther. Uh, and, and then you also had this photo of Merkel where she's, uh, and the uh, New York Times here is the headline, defying a bully or exchanging views. G7 photos tell different stories. Um, and, yeah, you got Merkel, who's like wearing exactly what you'd expect Merkel to wear. It's like, it's, you know, 
Uh, it's very much like I'm running the country, but uh, I don't want anyone to get any ideas. Um, and she's looking at uh, at Trump, and she's leaning over this table at Trump, and you've got all these other world leaders and Bolton, and uh, yeah, they're all gathered around. Macron, I can see Macron's forehead. He's like, oh, my, oui, bien sûr. I am a uh, middle-of-the-road technocrat in France. But we all like the stinky cheese. Uh, and he's, uh, by the way, I am actually a, if, when I go into a fromagerie or any kind of a cheese, a, a fancy cheese place where they have a, a un cave for the cheese, I think is what they call it. I'm always like, I want the, give me the smelliest. I want the cheese that smells so bad that people think that there's something wrong with you and you're carrying it around. Like it could clear a subway car for you. That's the cheese that I really like. And I eat it without ever thinking, like, maybe this is Mother Nature's way of saying don't eat it, but I don't care because the gooey, stinky, smelly cheese. I think I learned once, and it's after I had kind of a bad incident uh, with cheese, that if there, you can tell by the color of the mold on it, I'm pretty sure that, like, green and blue, that's mold, which, you know, if you want to eat that, that's up to you. But I think if the mold is red, that is a no-no. I, I could check on that. But that's an important safety tip for everybody. Because I was on the wrong side of that one once. Not a good. It was not a good night. Um, so anyway, they, they got Merkel looking at Trump, and Trump's sitting down, and she's everyone's like, "Oh, she's staring him down for the world order or whatever." And I just love this. The more you can have Merkel, who has been aptly described as European nationalism's woman of the year, twenty sixteen, uh, the more you can have because she's such an internationalist, and the disasters that befell her country from her particularly open-door migration policy that she kicked off. Uh, this is great. This is almost, it's not quite as easy a an ad campaign as having, uh, what's his name, De Niro say blank Trump. But having Merkel staring at Trump and him staring back at this photo, if you know what I'm talking about, it just goes to show you that most of us see it as like, yeah, that's right. He's not taking orders from Merkel anymore. And she's like, but Donald, I thought we had something special. And uh, he's like, nope. And that was the way it happened. By the way, I've got my big announcement about why I'm in D.C. I'm going to tell you about that literally right after the break. So I've been telling you guys that there would be an announcement coming, and I can finally make it. I know I've, I, I, I kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Uh, not on me. It had to do with some tech issues here. We had to get all of our all of our ducks lined up and quack quack. And you know, why do we line up? Oh, I guess is that for like ducks in a shooting gallery? Is that why we line up the ducks? But we we are finally at the place where I can tell you what's going on. You all know I love New York City uh, as much as I am a I don't know hardcore conservative uh, or at least a a conservative for as long as I can remember remembering anything. Uh, I also love my hometown. It's a fun place, a lot going on. It's where I'm most comfortable. It's where my family is. So it takes a lot to get me to leave. Uh, and I am down here in the swamp now. I think this is, I, I like to think this is now part of my path. I'd like to think this is the mission, that I have to come down here during the Trump administration and do my thing mere blocks from the White House. I am now just blocks from the White House. And I will be seeing a whole lot of White House folks in the days, weeks, and months ahead. So that is one of the advantages of being here. Here's the announcement. Uh, I am launching the Hill.com's 
TV channel. It'll be a digital TV channel called Hill.TV. That will start this Wednesday, actually. It'll be our first on-air show. If you want to watch it, you can just go to the uh, website Hill.TV and see what's going on with that. Uh, You can check out the show. I will be doing a morning show, and it's going to be something like, think of it like a little bit like Fox and Friends, but with a female co-host, Crystal Ball, who is a liberal. And I am, of course, the male co-host. I am a conservative. So we are doing a kind of male-female Hannity and Combs for the morning, but it's going to be conversation, not... There won't be a lot of... I mean, there are going to be some debates, but it's not going to be shouty or angry. We've been running... We've been doing lots of run-throughs. And, you know, what's it like when two people with different perspectives are setting up the news for the day and and doing it in a way that's uh, that's fun and friendly and insightful. That's what we're going for. That is our mission. We are trying to uh, we are trying to do our very best here to do something different than what you're seeing out there right now because it is man. I've been I've been in media for seven years and it is the most polarized climate by far right now in that seven years in terms of people that work in the business it is just it's never been quite like this before it's never been as intense a uh not just a separation of people based upon their opinions but really a a hatred of the other side it's just nuts anyway we're going to get away from that we'll be launching a segment uh we've already we've already uh put it in motion so it's going to happen called buck in a bar where we're going to get newsmakers, politicians, interesting folks, authors, whomever, to sit down with me in a bar and drink and talk about things. That'll be one of our segments. We're going to visit the embassies here and visit with chefs at the embassies and do a whole presentation of what the national cuisine is and how the chef prepares it. So there's going to be that morning show component to it, too. We're going to have pop culture interviews. We've got a a big movie director joining us uh, for the Wednesday show. We, we uh, the lineup of guests for the first two weeks is it's if we get everybody that we're supposed to get right now. Remember, they have to actually show up, and we're talking about top echelon of government uh, and some other very very senior folks. We're going to have quite a lineup of guests for those for those first uh, couple of weeks of the show for sure, and then we're going to get into a rhythm of you know who do we want any given day and what the. But yeah, that's what it is, team. I'm I'm going to be on. On the, uh, well, digital TV screen. Uh, It's not going to be cable. They're not going to try to get in the cable game. We think that with streaming, you know, Netflix, Hulu, and all that, digital TV is the way of the future. And, you know, is is it the wave or the way of the future, right? I feel like you could say either. This is one of those phrases that I think a lot of people get wrong. I know I do. Uh, But but it is how things are going to be. And I think it'll be a fun opportunity for those of you who like it when I do the the Fox hits. And by the way, all of your support with all that is uh, is really so very appreciated. Um, I can tell you that whenever I go on and you guys are like, hey, saw you, Buck, good job or something, that's just so nice. It really is. Don't think that I don't ever think that when I see something or I, if I can give you a thumbs up or you just even see that it's 
been delivered or read as a message that I don't appreciate it. I do every single time. I like hearing from all of you. And whenever I can get a message from any of you, it is really meaningful to me. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be launching. A crystal ball is great. Uh, we're really enjoying uh, our rapport. I mean, it's obviously going to be interesting to see how you have a, a Democrat and a Republican discussing the news day in and day out. But we think it'll be a really good, fun uh, show that's got a fresh approach and all the all the jargon that you expect from TV execs. I think it actually applies here. So that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm down here in the swamp. That's why I have uh, uprooted myself from being at uh, Radio HQ, the uh, Freedom Hut HQ in New York City, and set up a, a Ford operating a Ford operating uh, command post here, or a combat outpost, really. That this is the Freedom Hut. This is the Freedom Hut combat outpost in D.C. That's really where I am. Because uh, we're here on the front lines now, right in the center of the swamp. But, I, but I'm doing that show, and we're very, very excited about it, and I, I, I think it is going to be great. Uh, it also means that I will have one of the longest work days of any person in the media that I've ever heard of, ever. I'll be getting up every day at about 5.30 in the morning, and I'll be finishing with you all at radio at 9 o'clock at night. Yes, I am planning to basically pass out on the floor and take a nap in the middle of the day somewhere if I have to. Uh, but this is how much I want to. This is how much I want to be uh, a person with an impact at the national level conversation that I'm willing to uh, extend myself even more. A three-hour radio show is a full-time job. This is now really multiple full-time jobs being packed on top of each other. So all of your support team, your thoughts, um, and, and, and as much as you're willing to, it's free, of course. I mean, it's, you don't have to pay for this channel. If you have internet, if you have cell service, you can watch Hill.TV. Um, and it would really mean a lot if in my first week or two, uh, I had a lot of you just tuning in, but also you know commenting and sharing and trying to help spread the word. You'll make me look good in front of my uh, my new bosses down here. So uh, I ask that favor of you as we prepare for uh, everything everything else that's that's coming in the weeks ahead. So that's the that was the big announcement. That's why I'm here in the swamp. Hill.tv. Buck Sexton launching a political talk show, morning show as a co-host, and there'll be some other good programming on Hill.tv as well. And man, when you see some of the contributors we have lined up from down here, I think a lot of you are going to be very excited. Uh, the people that are going to be regulars joining us, young, smart, dynamic folks. That's what we're, that's what we're, that's the center of the wheelhouse. Yeah, of course, we're also going to have the Dersh and some folks on the other, other end of the generational spectrum, but we're, we're going for young, savvy, hip. Nobody who's actually hip uses the word hip, but you know, you say hip, it sounds like you're about to need a hip replacement, but you know what I mean? Uh, I think it's going to be a great program. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I, like I said, please do tune in. So uh, with that, team, I will also ask if you want to call in, please do. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. You know, there's a story out there right now that is getting not nearly enough attention or coverage. It's one of these stories that I look at and I say to myself, this should be something that everyone in the country who cares about the Mueller probe into Trump, the Russia collusion fantasy, the witch hunt, the 
all the, the, the swamp strikes back efforts against Trump, people should be very aware of one aspect of this that somehow is flying under the radar. And I got to give credit to Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley, who is continuing, continuing to move the ball downfield despite incredible and I would say increasingly obviously political opposition to getting to the truth. So here's what's going on. By the way, Byron York is also doing some excellent reporting on this at The Examiner. So Grassley wants to see at this point, and he keeps, remember, he is Senate Judiciary Committee, has oversight for the FBI, for the Department of Justice. He wants to see the Michael Flynn 302. The 302 is the record that the FBI would have kept of the interaction between FBI agents and Michael Flynn. Now, I want to make something very clear. I know from defense attorney friends of mine that you should always, as somebody who you all know now, and I'm not saying that FBI agents aren't doing very good stuff, and I'm not putting the FBI down as an institution, but the FBI is out there. There's an aggressiveness to law enforcement that you need to have. The FBI is out there to get people. They try to only get bad guys, but they don't only get bad guys. And they're out there to get people. They're not out there to make friends and bake cookies and hang out. And you have to remember that because when they are sitting for an interview with you, if they're just going to take notes, it's very important that you would, first of all, have a lawyer present. That's step one. Don't say, remember, Mike, what's our rule about talking to the FBI? What's our rule? <laughs> don't ever lie to them. No, but yes, that's true. But what's our what's our even better rule? Do what they say. Don't talk, Mike. I, <laughs> dude, you're gonna get so jammed up. You're gonna call me. I'm gonna have to bail you out. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get you like a fake passport. Call some of my old buddies and get you some stuff and get you out. I don't do anything wrong though. I have nothing to worry about. Yeah, I know. You're you're Mike's Mike's uh, <laughs> a very upstanding citizen. But yeah, Mike, our rule is never talk to the FBI. Yeah, that sounds okay? like a good rule. There we I go. Can get never that. do not talk to them. And now the rule changes when it's, one, you've been the victim of a crime. Yeah, then you talk to the FBI, right? I mean, But I'm saying if you're a suspect or if they want to question you, you do not talk to the FBI. Uh, and, and you also don't allow them to take notes of your interview because those will be used in court against you, especially if there's a question about veracity, if there's a, an issue of truthfulness one way or the other. You need to have a lawyer present. You also need to have, I, I highly recommend this, and this comes from defense attorney friends of mine. I know some very, very sharp. I have some dear friends who are incredibly sharp legal minds, uh, and I steal from their knowledge as much as I possibly can. Uh, you want to have a recording of the meeting if you can. You want a full-on recording of everything that is said, so that way it can't be, well, I thought you said it this way, and you know that way they can't decontextualize statements and everything else, right? But that all goes to the 302. The 302 is the written, uh, the written account, uh, uh, the written account of what the exchange was. And Grassley wants to see the 302 of Michael Flynn. Um, you know that that's where they take their notes because he wants to know how is it that Comey later on testified to Congress that they did not believe 
They did not believe that then incoming National Security Advisor Flynn had lied to the FBI. And then all of a sudden, Mueller gets involved in the situation, and you've got a guilty plea. And people say, oh, he pleaded guilty, he pleaded guilty. Okay, here's how this game goes. FBI shows up, they say, we can bankrupt you even if you're innocent. We can ruin your life. We can put you in prison for at least three or four years on the lying alone. Or you can agree to just tell us whatever you know about everything you know, and you will not go to prison at all. How many people go, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice on that one and see if I can beat a team of prosecutors, seasoned prosecutors with near unlimited resources for the purposes of, you know, as prosecutions go. And I want to roll the dice on that one. Okay, this notion that if you plead, you are obvious. This is like saying, well, he was convicted. Well, he was exonerated. Is he still convicted if someone's exonerated? No, of course not. When someone's found to be innocent and they're released out of prison, do we say, well, he was convicted, so, you know, he still did it? No, of course not. The process is not perfect. We just go with the process because it's the best thing that we have. But if there's something else that comes along, we have to adjust uh, and reevaluate. So Grassley wants the 302s from the FBI. Here, here's a big surprise, everybody. FBI doesn't want to give Grassley the 302. Now, Producer Mike, doesn't this seem a bit strange because... He's already pleaded guilty. You know what the FBI's justification for holding back this information, which the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman and his colleagues are clearly legally entitled to, they say they don't want to prejudice an ongoing investigation, so they're holding on to it. Here's the problem with that. He's already pleaded guilty. How do you prejudice an ongoing, and pleaded guilty, by the way, a long time ago. Uh, December 1st of 2017, he took a plea. So here we are, uh, you know, in June of 2018, after many months after that plea, and you're going to tell me that we can't know the information, or rather the Senate, well, the Senate can't know the information first uh, because it's going to prejudice an investigation. That's just a a malarkey, bogus claim. It's not one that anyone who's paying attention should should consider uh, serious and take seriously, but... Here we are. And that's what the FBI is saying. And now we don't know yet, but it's looking increasingly like they weren't going to charge Flynn. Then Mueller came along and came up with some version of events or, you know, decided to flip around the prosecutorial discretion here and decide that they were going to charge Flynn in order to get him to flip on Trump and his people. But. In doing so, they may have been overzealous and perhaps even unethical and essentially cheated Flynn of his of, of being treated fairly. I mean, they might have treated Flynn very unfairly. I mean, they might have used him as a fall guy here so he could be a tool against Trump. And that's something you'd get a real good sense of in the 302s. The fact that the FBI refuses to let the Senate Oversight Committee for this, or this, the Senate Committee with Oversight of DOJ see this, is a very troubling sign, but it's also a very telling one. The deep State is trying to hide, my friends. It is very important we do not let them get away with this. We'll be right back. You know, one of my friends in the office down here in D.C. today, one of my new colleagues on uh, Hill.TV, is like, hey, what's that, what's that, uh, batch of uh, different K-Cups you got there on your desk. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You mean my Black Rifle Coffee K-Cups? That's right. These are delicious. 
Toss the commie coffee, my friend. Get with the Freedom Coffee Revolution Black Rifle Coffee. I've got the whole office now thinking, how can I get myself on the Black Rifle subscription list? And you know what? You can. It's not hard. Check it out. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Use the coupon code buck15. That is buck15 for 15% off blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code buck15. I'm a monthly subscriber. You can set up a subscription. By the way, you can also check out their incredible gear. They've got great t-shirts, really cool designs, things that I know you're going to love. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code buck15. I'm going to say one thing. F*** Trump. It's no longer down with Trump. It's f*** Trump. Listen to them cheer, friends. Just just drink it all in. That was at the Tony Awards over the weekend. Because apparently the Tony Awards are still a thing. I, I didn't really even know that. But Broadway and live plays and all that, there are still people that get really excited about it. So the Tony Awards last night, you had, uh, obviously, Robert De Niro standing up there. And, you know, some others have been pointing this out to me. I I feel like De Niro is one of these guys who's gotten very far. I know you're going to get a little bit, a little bit, you know, a little little angry with me maybe on this one. But he's played the same character for 40 years, more or less. You're going to say, oh, Buck, Cape Fear, meet the parents. Eh. If you go back and watch Cape Fear, he's like, yeah, I'm like a real scary redneck evil guy. Like, it it doesn't really ring true now. I don't think it really holds up. I think that movie's I think that movie's a little overrated, quite honestly. Uh is he good in is he good in Heat? Yeah, I mean, is he good in The Godfather? Sure. Is he good in uh, Goodfellas? But he's really the same. He's like, he's like, hey, I'm Robert De Niro, you know. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy. I'm like a kind of uh, you know he's like the same guy in every movie, is all I'm trying to say. It's a little bit of the uh the Vince Vaughn situation, who seems like and I've heard actually he's a very nice guy and is a little bit libertarian, so that's always nice too to hear. Uh, although I think he had a troubling or a troubled week last week, but Vince Vaughn, I feel like it's pretty much the same guy in every show, in every movie, every show. It's worked for him. He's had a great career so far, but there are limitations here. Anyway, why do we care about this? A couple of ways we can we can unpack this. One is to say we don't care at all, Buck. Why are we talking about Robert De Niro? He's a jerk. He's acting like a jerk. Nothing about him that is not jerk-like. We shouldn't give him the attention. We shouldn't give him the uh, the ability to spout off like this, to mouth off like this, and have people across the country uh, have to care and hear. But no, no, no. I'm not playing that Robert De Niro clip so much to say, oh, gosh, look, another act. And this comes after the whole debacle with Samantha B and calling Ivanka the C-word. No, no. We know that the left is coarse, we know that even these coddled, overpaid, self-indulgent celebrities who, who are just now little automatons of progressivism, it's an astonishing thing when you think about it. What, whatever happened to, you know, just be thankful that you're able to be a, a thespian, you know, you're able to be an actor and make a really great living. I've gotten so lucky. 
and try to entertain people, make people feel better, inspire people, tell stories that matter. Th- that's not enough. You have to also be up there like, bam, bam, Trump. Really? That's what you have to do? So, yeah, yeah, I know I'm getting a little bit of a look at Hollywood. They're so gross. But, but the more important takeaway from this is that Robert De Niro standing up and saying F Trump is really an in-kind donation to the RNC that we can run this as an ad. And it's not just that De Niro said it, because that's, okay, he's one guy, he's not very smart, who cares? But that the entire room, they didn't just laugh. They didn't just cheer. They stood up laughing and cheering. They stood up and made a whole thing of it. Standing ovation for F, the current president of the United States at the Tony Awards. Which is another thing, by the way. I I don't go to I don't go to Broadway shows in New York. I've been to some of them. They're so heavy handed and political all the time. Unless you're gonna go see like, you know, forty second street or guys and dolls or something. Yeah, that's great. That's fine. But if you see anything that's getting awards, you know, that's getting Tonys, you're going to see something about, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the transgendered geisha who, I mean, there's always like some, always some really heavy handed political, you know, I went to, I went to one show, I was brought to one years ago and the actor in the main role jumped out into the audience and grabbed a man by his head and and tried to stick his tongue down his throat. I, I'm not kidding. I was in the row right behind him, so I saw the whole thing. It was weird. It was weird. Um, anyway, so the Tonys are, are completely on another. They're, they're progressive in a way that even liberals I know are like, and I mean the Tonys, I mean the whole theater scene is way left. Uh, but it's it's kind of like radical art, radical artiste. But when you have all these people standing up and they're cheering, they haven't, the big takeaway is they haven't learned a damn thing. They just don't get it. And I, I console myself, or rather I, I calm myself by pointing out that the best possible thing is that they keep doing this and that Enough of the American people see the progressive left for the fetid cesspool without principles, without kindness, without ideas. Just a collectivist, totalitarian mindset that has seized our cultural institutions, seized our college campuses and academia, really through a form of social and political force. Uh, that the more people see this for what it is, the better, and that the best thing that can happen is that they have to live in an America with Trump, not for two more years, but for six more years. Six more years of Trump. They deserve it. We deserve it because we know it's a good thing, but they deserve it because they need to be put through what for them is a nightmare. I mean, Trump staying in office is the equivalent of like throwing water on a progressive witch. I'm melting! I'm melting! Who threw water on Hillary? So mean. Uh, But that's what this is going to be like. 
I I am going to be more more uh, fired up about Trump getting reelected than any election in my lifetime. Way more so than I felt about trying to defeat Obama back in 2012. And I still think Mitt Romney would have been a good president. Not transformational, not, and I mean transformational in response to the transformation of Obama. I think Mitt Romney would have been a, a solid steward of the American executive branch and the U.S. economy. I, I do. I think he would have been very solid. And I think we would have been spared some of the worst excesses of Obamaism in the 2.0 version of the second term. But we, we need to be reminded by people like De Niro, by people like Samantha Bee uh, and others of what anti-Trumpism really is. And at its core, it is uh, it is ignorance. It is nastiness. It is an unwillingness to engage with ideas. It is a lack of and this is a core characteristic of the Democrats, the progressive left, all of them. Uh, a lack of humility. There's such a sneering, condescending mentality, tone, and it's really become a, a, a cultural movement among you know, the progressive left and among Democrats that they just love to find people to look down on. And they love to find people they look down on and pretend to care about them, to use them as a cudgel as a weapon against people they really look down on, which is you and me, which is you know, the, the opposition, so to speak. So I, I have to say, I think that uh, De Niro, is, is, he's helping out our side. He's helping us out by being such a clown and by everybody in that room standing up. And Do they think, you really have to ask this question, do they think they're brave for doing that? Oh, there are very few things that I'm going to get out of my seat and clap like a trained seal for. There are very few things that I'm just going to give a standing ovation for. You know, uh, a group of, uh, you know, wounded veterans walk into the room. Yeah. Standing ovation. Right. I mean, th- there are things when then that's called for Th- these people are giving a standing ovation to uh, a-, a really has been actor who. And look, he's had a hugely successful career, and I get all that, but you know, we don't have to pretend like you're important forever. You could just be a normal person. You know, there are enough challenges in life that you don't have to hang on to your fame, cling on to it with your last fingernails. Uh, but that he said this about Trump, I think, is going to be much more useful to our side than he ever realized. And, and just that sentiment, really. And it's a reminder they, they have learned nothing. They still think that the best way to defeat Trump, the best way to win this seismic battle that's underway right now, the seismic shift that's been happening, uh, is to mock and ridicule and not to engage and not to win over. I really hope they continue with that because, man, oh, man, they're going to lose these midterms and they're going to have Trump again, and that is going to be sweet. The Freedom Hub party we have when Trump gets reelected is going to be off the hizzle. Stay with me. You need the best people when you're getting information on a prospective hire, on a possible tenant, or for a business-to-business transaction. Background investigations and vetting cannot be an area that you leave to the last minute or that you just look through You know whatever comes up online. You need somebody you can trust. You need people that have been vetted. I know the CEO of Global Verification Network, and I know the kind of business he runs. This is simply the best place for you to go for background investigations and vetting, and it is 
federally certified as a veteran-owned small business. It is headquartered here in Chicago. It's not one of these huge multinationals that will send all your stuff overseas. Their risk mitigation experts can work with you, whatever your industry, whatever size of your company. If you need some background investigations done, you need some vetting, go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. To me, having an honest inspector general, and we have one, obviates the need for special counsel. He should be looking into this. He will make a report. And if there's signs of bias that come out of this, it, we hmm? know that he can't prosecute. So if there are if there's signs of bias... But he, could, he could recommend prosecution, but he has to show that there's an actual crime committed, and that crime would be prosecuted whether it was done by a hmm. Democrat or Republican or an independent. We have to have one standard of justice for all, and we have to use the criminal law only as a last resort when there's clear evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that an existing statutory crime has been committed. I don't think that standard has been met for anybody so far involved in this whole disaster. All right, well, we will all be waiting. The 2016 election. You know, the Inspector General report's coming out in just a few days, my friends. And I'm seeing that it's, it's going to... Uh, going to cover some interesting territory we're going to cover some interesting ground for sure you have these initial it's tough to know if they are uh leaks or if they are just speculation but you definitely have some some uh consistent enough themes in all of this that you could say to yourself okay hold on hold on a second uh the the likelihood here is that Comey is about to get tossed under the bus like nobody you have seen in a very long time. And I wonder how the uh, the Democrats are going to run with this or what they're going to do in response to it, because from what I've been told, and I've been talking to sources down here in D.C., one of the advantages of being in D.C. now, folks, I actually speak to the swamp creatures mano a mano, which is nice. I've got my swamp creature hideouts now. I go to them. I talk to them. I find out about them. Uh, But one thing you're hearing from a lot of folks down here is that there's very little uh, that Comey's going to be able to do to prevent both Democrats and Republicans from this report that's coming out on Thursday from feeling like, Comey was just really the whole time. It was just all about Comey. That was it, it, he wanted to play, you know, uh, re- really like he was the one above politics guy in the midst of the whole political hurricane that was going on. Cross wasn't a crossfire hurricane was the name of what, they, what they called it. Yeah, that kind of made sense. Uh, they're going to say that Comey was insubordinate, they're going to say, meaning the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, who people have all been saying as well, is a respectable career guy, nonpartisan, and is going to present findings, I think a few hundred pages of findings. The So the insubordinate nature of what Comey did, the violation of Department of Justice regulations, they're going to say Comey did that. I, I think that part's quite clear, by the way. Very unlikely to me that we'll see a situation where Comey is not uh, not nailed for what he did by standing in front of the American people, usurping the 
authority of the Department of Justice because he thought it was a good idea. Well, maybe Loretta Lynch shouldn't have had a tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton. Maybe that shouldn't have happened. But there's one other thing that I cannot confirm yet. But I have to wonder. Uh, oh, and the, the reason Democrats are going to get upset, I think, is this report is allegedly going to include that Comey should not have inserted himself at both points. One where he stood in front of the people and said Hillary won't be charged, but then also where he said that the email investigation's been reopened, that, that Comey was putting his hands on the political scales in ways that were completely inexcusable. But the, the other reported, or I should say based on my sources, the other thing that I'm, I'm hearing about is that there may be an inclusion in this that Comey gave information to his lawyer that was classified and that it had to be scrubbed from his uh, personal, you know, personal devices and everything else. If that is true, if there, or if there's anything about Comey giving the memos to, uh, you know, his friend who then put them with, leaked them to the New York Times. If any of that is true, think about what the ramifications would be. The guy that would mean that the guy who bailed Hillary out for mis or made the decision against DOJ policy, against rules, regulations, and and the better judgment of I think anybody looking at this. That guy would also be guilty of mishandling classified information on his own. That same guy. I think that's going to be a very, very big issue. Very, very big problem. And uh, we'll see. It's also not going to look good for Loretta Lynch. Uh, she clearly used horrific judgment. Judgment that is so bad, you have to think. You have to think that there was something else going on. That there was some message or something that they had to say to each other. Because otherwise, it is so... I actually give Clinton and Lynch some credit. It is either so colossally stupid that the only explanation that I can come up with other than they had to exchange information in, in a private setting uh, was that they're so arrogant that they figured it wouldn't matter. I think that's a major factor in a lot of what we've seen here with Comey and McCabe and Lynch and all this deep state anti-Trump activity that has been uncovered, that's very real. And this IG report is going to nail that down so nobody can say, oh, it's not true, and why are you lying? Uh, oh, people may say that, but there'll be jokes. Is that there was so much hubris involved that the people that were tied to Hillary, that were assuming Hillary would win, were so certain she would win that they had almost no fear, almost no real consideration of the possibility that it wouldn't happen and that they would never be held accountable because the recklessness with Lynch and Comey and some of these others of what they did in their actions could only look, it's true of Hillary too. Hello. The recklessness of what Hillary did could only be explained by she just figured she'd never get caught and she almost didn't get caught, which I think is something that often gets left out of the conversation. If you don't have like that Gucci for hacker guy and a couple of other things, that come up, well, some people go, wait a second, what's this weird Hillary email address? She would have gotten away with it, too. And it would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you dag nabbit kids. Like the 
Scooby-Doo guy, right? Isn't that, what he, isn't that what he says at the end? Or gosh darn it, kids, or is it Dag Nabbit or gosh darn it? Yeah, yeah Dag Nabbit. That's, that's, Dag Nabbit, that works, right? All right. Uh, I have much more for you, team. Stay. Oh, we're going to talk about International House of... <gasps> we don't know what. We'll tell you after the break. And I'd love to welcome all of America to the world's first IHOB restaurant, which stands for the International House of Burgers. Burgers! Are you doing this? Are we still going to have pancakes on the menu? We're always going to have pancakes on the menu. We're always going to be IHOP, but America loves burgers and America loves IHOP, and we thought this was a fantastic combination to bring America's burgers to an iconic brand like IHOP. What the heck is going on here? It has been the International House of Pancakes for as long as I can remember, my friends. And uh, now they're, they're literally changing the name from IHOP to IHOB. IHOB? This just strikes me as, as completely and utterly at odds with their, their previous mission, which was to serve you pancakes that you can't taste except for the high fructose corn syrup that you pretend is actually maple syrup that you pour all over those tasteless pancakes at about 3 o'clock in the morning because it's the only 24-hour place and you and your buddies are super drunk and you're in college and you need to get some sustenance because otherwise you're going to pass out. That's what I know of IHOP. That's all I know of IHOP. And, and I got to tell you, this switch to a burger joint resulted in some some truly first-class trolling today from some of their competition. Uh, Wendy's, from their official Twitter account. Producer Mike, did you see these? These were brilliant. No, I did not see it from so, Wendy's. So, so Wendy's, from their official Twitter account, wrote, in response to IHOP becoming International House of Burgers, IHOP, Wendy's writes, can't wait to try a burger from the place that decided pancakes were too hard. And then I got to give them credit. IHOP responded, we don't want any beef with you. We just want to share our beef with the world. And then Wendy's wrote, welcome to the neighborhood. So that was nice. So, you know, it's a nice Twitter. Nice Twitter. Because people who are jerks on Twitter are jerks in real life. Uh, And then the next one is Whataburger. Uh, And they wrote, as much as we love our pancakes, we'd never change our name to What a Pancake. (laughs) I got to say, Pretty good stuff from the uh, social media directors at these two places. Mike, what are you, what have your experiences been with IHOP? Because I feel like it had its niche, and its niche was kind of cheap, tasteless pancakes, but you can get them 24 hours a day. Yeah, I, 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 for what it is, what it is I, I love it for that, you know? Right, it's, it gets it done. Yeah. And you really get the fun. hash browns that vaguely taste of potato. Right. You know, there's some... You're aware that it's potato. Yeah. You're just not excited about it uh, but it's I, potato yeah. and you could definitely throw some ketchup on there and i wouldn't judge you usually i judge with ketchup <laughs> no like, i i always loved uh, about ihop i love their flavored syrups that they had like the, you get the blueberry syrup and the regular maple syrup i didn't know they even had that yeah the strawberry syrup i always loved the uh the, the syrup choices by the way how was your uh how was your jg melons experience oh it's amazing i forgot how good that place was I told you really good I told you i said I had, a, had a had a craving for a burger saturday night was on the east side, said, going to J.G. Mounds. Always a good move, dude. I'm yeah. proud of you. Well yes. done. Well Thank done, you. sir. Thank you. So, yeah, no, I, IHOP is now IHOP. I, I don't think uh, 
there mu- you know what it must be? I think it's probably too hard to make money selling uh just selling pancakes because it's such a cheap item. It's so inexpensive. And you know, you, you really need to get people in there. You know, burgers you can you can sell, you can charge people more. I, I don't know. That's just my was there any real explanation, Mike, for why they made the switch other than just, you know, oh, we're trying something new? There must be some financial reason. Yeah, I, I just saw uh, I saw that interview this morning on Fox and Friends with the president who just spoke. Um, yeah, aside from the name change and this branching out, I didn't hear of any other reason explained. But I'm telling you, there's, some, there's something there. I mean, yeah. you know, when you get into the food, the food business, you know, your margins are everything, and it's probably just not possible to make a real profit selling just uh, selling just pancakes, they really, I'm guessing they need to branch out and, you know, the money's in meat, the money's in meat. Wow. People should just hire me to write slogans for them. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's what I, that's what I should be doing. Um, but I'm not, I'm hanging out with you cause it's way more fun and way more important. Uh, speaking of fun and important roll call is both of those things. And we will be getting into some roll call here in just a few minutes, but you have to stay right there team because I'll be back. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. You know, originally I thought that that music was a little Muzak-like. Like, we're all in an elevator looking at each other slightly awkwardly like, well, what are you doing here? But I actually feel like that music is kind of soothing now. Gets me, gets me in the mood for some roll call, which if you are in the mood, if you have the need, the need for speed and roll call, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or official team Buck at a gmail.com. So, with that, my friends, let me move on to uh, what you have to say here. First up, Denny. Hi, Buck. Love the show. Long-time swoop enthusiast since the Real News Days and regular, not sporadic, thank you, sir, listener on podcast. Looking for some advice. My daughter is going to be in New York City this week to perform at Carnegie Hall. Do you have any advice for what to see and do, and most importantly, how to stay safe in the city. Thank you, Buck Shields High from Denny. Well, I do. I have lots of advice on this one. And as I'm now in the swamp, I'm in D.C., I will tell you, please enjoy the city for both of us. I miss it. It is the greatest city in the world. And this place, D.C., really is a swamp by comparison. I am here for purely professional reasons. Uh, I This place does not, unfortunately, compare to NYC, which... You don't even care about the politics. The politics, it doesn't even matter. It's just so much going on that you have an, the anonymity of the masses in New York, which is, I think, a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Everyone's way too into their own thing to care about what anyone else is doing. So uh, in terms of what to see and do, I'm a, look, if you want to go see a Broadway play, go do that. I can't give you any particular insight or advice on that. I don't know much about Broadway. I don't, I haven't been to see much Broadway, but for some people, that's a real experience. Very New York. I think it's definitely uh, worth it. Actually, if you go to top of the rock at Rockefeller center, you may really enjoy that. Uh, That's a cool view of the city. People usually go to the empire state building, but uh, 
There's that. Ellis Island, Statue of Liberty, clearly. I mean, these are the classic tourist things to do. For me, I think, especially this time of year, you start at Central Park right around the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is on about 84th and 5th Avenue-ish, 83rd and 5th Avenue. Go into the Met. It's one of the most amazing museums in the world. Pick one part of it you really want to see, because otherwise you'll just be overwhelmed. Spend uh, whatever time you can there, and then just walk south through the park and just kind of go whichever way the paths take you. Eventually you'll find yourself at central park South. You'll be in midtown. And you know, from there you can go grab a bite or whatever it is. My favorite neighborhoods in New York city are uh, Greenwich village, Chelsea, uh, and the West village. If you're into some funkier stuff, you can check out the East village, but really for the best neighborhoods, you want to stay South of 23rd street, best burger in the city, JG melons. No question about it. Best ice cream, Ample Hills. You can go to Ample Hills Creamery down in the uh, meatpacking district. Meatpacking is a cool area, too, but it's more of a nightlife thing. Denny, I don't know if you want to bust out your funky moves, but there you have. Oh, and the the Highline Park and Chelsea Market. I'd go check out Chelsea Market, go for a walk in the Highline Park. So there you have it, everybody. Any of you who have some New York trip coming up, I think I've given you some good. By the way, producer Mike. I was very excited. Made his way to J.G. Mellon's over the weekend. Ah, high five, Producer Mike. Very well done. Come off the coast. See what happens. Have a few laughs. Uh, so there you have it. Thank you, Denny. Oh, and in terms of safety, I know I've been talking about this whole New York thing for a while, but in terms of safety, uh, New York is a shockingly safe big city. Uh, if you're in Manhattan, which is one of the five boroughs, I, I would tell you, that safety is is a is almost a non-concern. That is how safe the city has become. I mean, obviously, don't walk around with hundred dollar bills falling out of your pockets, acting like you're drunk or something. But you know, it's it's just not a problem. And when I grew up there, it was a big problem. You had to really think about safety. So it is a dramatic change. It's very different than it was before. Next up, Cindy. See, you get talk, get me talking about New York because I miss I miss NYC right now. I'm I'm a little I'm a little homesick for my hometown, but. And Miss Molly's up there, although we're, we're getting her down here for good soon. Don't worry. Uh, Cindy, not sure if you got this time-sensitive information. The FDA did a study with this great man. Finally, results were better and less harmful to the human body than chemo. Um, I don't know about this study about cancer treatment, uh, but I will check it out, Cindy. Thank you for passing it along. Uh, Matthew. And he writes, yo, buddy, congrats on stepping out onto your own. I lost your podcast for a while when you switched, but I've been listening again for a few months. Um, uh, I held off telling you because you didn't want to put uh, put you on tilt if you didn't know, but your Hill TV gig was outed on podcast several weeks ago. Oh, I know. Trust me. Uh, I'm guessing during a commercial break, all the conversations you were having with a journalist and then your production staff was recorded. Maybe someone told you already. Oh, yes, they did. Anyway, you definitely need someone reviewing those podcasts because I, I, I have heard uh, some errors like that. Best of luck. Also, you need to pre-read those Team Buck Speaks emails. You need to know what is coming. You seem completely off balance when you read them. Well, Matthew, you know, I'm doing it live on the air, buddy. I don't know. I mean, if I pre-read them, then I'm kind of pre-selecting them. I thought some of the fun was that it's a little bit of a like, well, let's see what we got here, and I just go to it. Occasionally, we get a little lost in the emails, but hey, your your opinion is valid. Uh, so there you have it. There you have it. Um, let's see what else we have here. 
Where do we have? Uh, Duke wrote the following. Hey, uh, he wrote, uh, watch Blazing Saddles, goofball. What is knocking around inside that oversized noggin? In fact, to be at least reasonably intelligent, watch every Mel Brooks ever made. Just keeping it real, Buck. Well, Duke, thank you. I will take you up on that. I will certainly check it out. Uh, Dave, next up here. Buck, I find it very amusing when you lend your voice to us, your listeners. For instance, in recently speaking about linen suits, not women's suits, hmm, and how they always appear wrinkled, you said, I'm just trying to pass along the wisdom of my 36 years here. A lot of you are like, Buck, I got twice your years. Why don't you learn yourself? Which would be a fair point. Being nearly 60 and owning a linen suit, I'd say you totally read my mind. Maybe you should rethink the whole caller aspect of the show. LOL. Thanks for the informative and entertaining work you are doing. It is much appreciated. Sincerely, Dave, listener since the election and Black Rifle Coffee monthly service member and proud Shields High t-shirt wearer. Well, Dave, you're amazing, man. Thank you. Dave, I'm going to tell you this right now. I know you're out in Sacramento, uh, and I just wanted to say, and to, to all of our Sacramento listeners, hey, everybody out in California, good to talk to you. Thank you for joining the hut. And Dave, uh, you've, you've like made my day, and it's been a tough one. So your note single-handedly has improved my mood. So thank you very much for that. It means a lot. See see how easy it is, folks, to just to actually just spread goodness and, and good cheer? It sounded a little bit like a Charles Dickens novel there. Who would like to spread goodness and good cheer? But it's, but it's tr- a true thing. It's a real thing. All right, next up, Erica. You mentioned the homeless tents in California. We are visiting Washington this summer. Is there any place or anything like that we need to avoid in D.C.? Well, Erica, the parts of D.C. you are likely to visit as a tourist are quite safe. But D.C., in fact, is a more dangerous city per capita than New York City. And I have certainly noticed the homeless uh, issue here is is a bit different as well. I mean, there are, there are there are people in tents on the streets in the main downtown part of the city. Not to the same degree, anything like it, uh, anything near near it. Um, why can I not speak English today? Radio host, Buck, radio host. Not nearly to the same degree as California, but it, it is it is a thing here. Uh, but if you stay in the main areas, you know, where, where the White House is, Georgetown, the Washington Monument, uh, Shaw, which is kind of a new, trendy neighborhood, you, you're totally fine. Uh, you'll be you'll be fine in DC. But look, in any city, you, you got to keep got to keep basic you know, safety in mind, right? You you can never completely let your guard down, whatever city you're in. Um, but I don't think there's anywhere you have to specifically avoid. Paul next here, he writes, "Buck, seriously, you have not seen Blazing Saddles? Watch it twice in a row. You will be shocked through the first run. The second run, you will laugh. I guarantee it." Well, Paul, I will. Give it a shot. Thank you so very, very much. Um, I will get to it. I don't know when. I don't have a TV right now. I'm living in a in an apartment with a mattress on the ground, and that is my only furniture. I have a folding chair that I got from Walmart. I was in Walmart this past weekend. You know, I, this may sound a little no-duh, Buck, but Walmart's an incredible place. It, it really is like the greatest American monument to commerce that you can visit it's tremendous 
And, you know, there's a lot of fresh food. I mean, this Walmart I went to in D.C., I think it's a super Walmart, so maybe it's even, if that's a thing. Das ist a super Walmart. Um, I, I don't know, but it's a, a very, it was an incredible place. I mean, you could buy everything you need for your home. You could probably buy what you need to build a home, and then everything you need for inside the home, and then all the food you need and clothing you'd need for years and years to come, just based on... Walmart, just what you get from Walmart. So there you have it. Um, and then we have Josh. Uh, Buck, I'm so glad you mentioned Jordan Peterson and his BBC interview. That was epic. I've been reading his book, 12 Rules for Life, and have got a lot out of it. I think you need to have him and Ines, Ines Felcher on the show together. See if producer Mike can make it happen. I think you all would have an amazing and super informative discussion about the dangerous psychological game the left is playing all the best, Shields High. P.S. I dig the intro for the dubstep roll call. Well, thank you, Josh. It's a great idea. Producer Mike is on it, and I'm glad that somebody else, le- you know, dubstep just puts a little pep in your step, as I like to say. So uh, I'm glad I finally got to make the uh, big announcement today about why I'm down in D.C. I hope you all tune in this Wednesday to Hill.TV. And until tomorrow on this radio show, my friends, you know what's coming your way. Shields High. Nine Line Apparel is about much more than just getting dressed every day. I mean, sure, the clothing is cool, it's comfortable, you'll love the designs and all the different fits, but Nine Line is about being proud of who you are, what you wear, and how you walk through life. They are relentlessly patriotic, they pull no punches with their messaging, and they don't dare apologize for their love of country and America. They realize that we are, in fact, America's next greatest generation. That's the nine-line apparel motto. These guys know what's up. Go check them out. See the T-shirts they have. Remember Benghazi, for example. That's a design you'll get on the site. They have Second Amendment and veteran-inspired entire lines. So check it out, and you'll see this is going to be a clothing company that you're going to wear a lot. Go to nine-line apparel. Use the coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off. It's a great deal. Nine, N-I-N-E, line, apparel, Dot com coupon code buck 20 for 20% off.